Welcome to the Kaleo Life Podcast. You can find more resources for gospel living and information about us by going to our website, kaleo.community. Enjoy today's sermon. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your grace and your love for us. Thank you that we are gathered in your name this morning. And thank you that we get to look at the Ten Commandments. Thank you that you are a righteous and perfect God who has given us your law out of your love and your grace. God, I pray that your spirit would be among us at work and that your spirit would be the one guiding me and leading me in the, in the words that I'm about to speak. And your spirit would also be teaching us and working in our hearts to bring transformation, God. And we pray that your name would be glorified in the name of your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Uh, All right, so let's read Exodus chapter 20, verses uh, 1 through 18, I would say. Yeah, 1 through 18. So Exodus 20, starting in verse 1. And God spoke all of these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them for I, the Lord, your God, I'm I'm a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and to the fourth generation of those who hate me but showing steadfast love to thousands or to the thousandth generation of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall do You shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days, the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Now, when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled. And they stood far off and said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. This is the word of God. Let's uh, let's get into into work today. We're going to talk about the first commandment. But first of all, I kind of want to respond or answer to a question that some of you may already have in your mind, which is, why are we studying the Ten Commandments? Like, why is, aren't we under grace? Why do we even bother looking at these commands? And, you know, I hope that 
that all of us see the importance of the Ten Commandments. But I have heard of churches where people, you know, there are preachers that simply wouldn't, won't go over the Ten Commandments because, you know, that's just not applicable to us. We're under grace. Uh, I was at a church where I preached on the Ten Commandments. And when I said, we're going to Exodus 20 and we're going to talk about the Ten Commandments, there was, I don't, I don't even know how to describe it, but there was like a, this weird tension in the air of like, the Ten Commandments, okay, well, you know, we'll see what happens. And so today, one of the things that I want to do is I want to give four reasons for why Christians, New Covenant believers, members of the church should care and even obey the Ten Commandments, right? So why do we as church, as people who are under grace, as people who are members of the New Covenant, why should we care about the Ten Commandments? And here's another disclaimer. Uh, These first four points that I'm going to make, I took them from a book by Kevin DeYoung. And I only took the points. I did not steal anything else. And and I do have a couple of quotes by him, but I will let you know when I'm quoting him. But I just want you to know, I I did my homework, I promise. Uh, But but I wanted to be clear that these four points are, are, you know, he is the one that, that pointed them out. But, uh, but these four points are ultimately coming out of the passage. So the first reason why we should care about the Ten Commandments and why we should listen to them and obey them is because of who we are. And so before chapter 20, before God even gives the Ten Commandments, he, in chapter 19, he identifies who the people of Israel are. And so if you look in chapter uh, 19, verse 6, God says, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation, right? So God identifies the people of Israel as a kingdom of priests and as a holy nation. And so some of you might say, well, there it is. You know, Ben, why are we talking about the Ten Commandments? If God said to the people of Israel that they are a kingdom of priests and a holy nation, what does that have to do with us? Well, I would bring you to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, where Peter is talking to the church, where Peter is talking to believers of the, uh, you know, new covenant believers, members of the church, and he tells them basically the same thing. He says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, he says, but you, you, the church, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. So what is Peter doing here? He is taking... Old Testament language, he is taking the words that God said, told the people of Israel, and he is applying them to the church and saying, you are a chosen race, royal priesthood, holy nation, a people for God's own possession. So when we think of everything that happened in the Old Testament, and when we think of everything that happened in the New Testament, we shouldn't have too, you know, too uh, uh, strict of a line or say, oh, everything that happens in the Old Testament is not applicable to us. That's not true. Right. Someone uh, someone named Alec Motier, uh, you know, reading Alec Motier has helped me a lot in understanding this. And one of the things he says is that when we think of the history of Israel, we should think of it as our prehistory. The history of Israel is the prehistory of the church. And so he gives this uh, hypothetical scenario where he says, imagine that you are asking an Israelite. Right. Someone from the Old Testament, someone who is in the land of uh, who is in the wilderness going to the promised land. He says, imagine that you're asking to give him your his testimony. Uh, 
And so this is this is what he says. Alec Montier says, this is what he would say. We were in a foreign land, in bondage, under the sentence of death. But our mediator, the one who stands between us and God, came to us with the promise of deliverance. We trusted in the promises of God. We took shelter under the blood of the lamb, and he led us out. Now we are on the way to the promised land. We are not there yet, of course, but we have the law to guide us. And through blood sacrifice, we also have his presence in our midst. So he will say, sorry, he will stay with us until we get to our true country, our everlasting home. Right. So think about that. It, this is something that any Israelite could have, said on, could have said on his way to the promised land. But it is worded in a way that any of us could say this. Right. Just like they had a mediator who was Moses. We have a mediator who is the Lord Jesus Christ, just as they had a sacrificial lamb that they had to slaughter and they had to put their blood on the door and they had to they had to take shelter under the under the the blood of that lamb from the wrath of God. We can say the same thing and that Jesus is the lamb of God that was slaughtered so that we could take shelter under his blood. From God's wrath. So that's that's the first reason. Why should we care about the Ten Commandments? Commandments because of who we are. We are God's possession. We are God's redeemed people. We are a holy nation, a a kingdom of priests, and therefore these commands are applicable to us. They are important to us. Okay. The second reason why we should care about the Ten Commandments is because of who God is in Himself. And so if you go to chapter 20, verse 1, God spoke all of these words saying, I am the Lord. And we're going to stop there for a second. I am the Lord. The name that God is in, that God is introducing himself to them is the is the covenant name of God, right? If you look in your Bibles, uh depending on your translation, you may have the Lord or you may have Jehovah or you may have Yahweh or something similar, but this is God's covenant Name. This is the same name that he used when he introduced himself to Moses in uh, at the burning bush, right? Remember when Moses uh, asked God, "Who do I tell them that sent me?" And God said, "Tell them that I am sent you." Right. This is the name of the Lord, and so he is using that same name here before he gives them the Ten Commandments, and he is reminding them of who he is. Right. So this is a quote from Kevin DeYoung. He says, this is the sovereign, self-existent, self-sufficient, almighty creator God. This is not a God to be trifled with. If there is a God and if he is anything like the God who is revealed to us in the scriptures, then it would be extremely presumptuous, foolish, and by all accounts, dangerous for us to come up with our own ethical code. Right. If if there is a God, as the one described in Scripture, if there is a God named Yahweh and everything that the Bible says about him is true, then it would be stupid of us to say, oh, we can figure out our own rules and our own laws and our own ways to live. And that's what the world says today. Right. The world says, oh, just, you know, you do you, boo boo. You do whatever you want. Uh, as long as you don't hurt anyone, just do your own thing. There is no moral standard. Just do your own thing. Don't hurt others, right? That's not true. There is absolute, absolutely, there is a moral standard. And who gets to decide what the moral standard is? The God who created the world, 
right? The God who created the world is the one who gets to determine what the rules for living in this world are. Think about God's power and God's holiness. In chapter 19, people are not even allowed to go near the mountain and touch the mountain because they have to be put to death because of God's holiness. At the end, after God gives the Ten Commandments, people are so scared of the presence and the power of God that they beg Moses to not let God speak to them anymore. He's like, no, no, no. We want to hear from you, Moses. We don't want to hear from God. He's too powerful for us, right? In chapter 19, verse 18, you see the same thing. Now, Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a, of a kiln and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke and God answered him in thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain. And the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain and Moses went up. And the Lord said to Moses, go down and warn the people lest they break through to the Lord to look and many of them perish. Also let the priests who come near to the Lord consecrate themselves lest the Lord break out against them. So this is how holy God is. He is so holy that people cannot even go up to the mountain If they go up to the mountain and they see his holiness, they could die. Think of the prophets that saw visions of God, right? Think of Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6. Think of Daniel when he saw, you know, the very last vision, when he saw the Lord. Think of all of these people. Think Think of John, the apostle, right? When he encountered the resurrected Jesus, the glorified Jesus in the book of Revelation. And all of them have one thing in common. They fell down to their faces as if, as as if they were dead. That's the holiness of God. And this is the God that is telling Moses and the people of Israel and all of us, I am the Lord. And when God says, I am the Lord, we better listen, right? God's holiness alone should bring us to obedience of his law. God's holiness should be the only reason we need to obey his law, right? But the good news is that there's more. We get even more reasons, even though God's holiness alone should be enough. We get more reasons why we should care, listen, and obey his law. The third reason is because of who God is to us. So again, in Exodus 20, verse 2, God says, I am the Lord, your God. I am the Lord, your God. So he brings it from, you know, this incredible unapproachable holiness where none of us can approach him. And he does something incredibly radical and says, I am the Lord, your God. I am your God. You are my possession. I am your portion. You are my inheritance and I am your inheritance. God is is condescending, right? And he is coming down and saying, I am your God. You can call me your God. I, I am I, I belong to you, right? Not in the sense that we can own God, but I think you, I think you get what I'm saying. Um, on the Sermon of, uh, on the Mount, Jesus brings it up a notch. And when he is teaching the disciples how to pray, he tells them, you should pray like this. And how does he tell them to address God? Our Father. Our Father, right? So it... It's, it goes even further, right? He, not only is he our God, he is our father. Now, 
thinking about fathers, thinking about parents, um, children, and I think those of you who were at the park, you already know the answer to this, but children, why do our parents give us instructions? That's right, so that you can stay safe because they love you. Are you sure? Are you sure your parents are not just giving you rules and commands because they want you to be bored and have a have a lame life and never have fun, not do anything fun with your life? No, right? They do it because they love you. They do it because they want you to be safe. They do it because they are wiser than you. They are more experienced. And they understand better how this world works. And they are giving you rules to keep you safe, to protect you, to love you, to, to, for you to be able to thrive in this world. And in the same way, God, God doesn't give us his law so that we have lame and boring lives, right? So that we don't do anything in this world. No, he is giving us his law so that we can enjoy the world that he created, so that we can enjoy the relationships with the people that he has created, right? If you think about the Ten Commandments, the first half roughly is about our relationship with God. And the second half is about our relationship with God's creatures, with other people. And so God cares about us. He loves us and he wants us to be able to relate to him. And he wants us to be able to relate to the people that he has created because he loves us. And so when we understand this, we can join David in Psalm 119 and say with him, lead me in the path of your commandments for I delight in it. He says, your law is my delight. In another verse, he says, I find my delight in your commandments, which I love. Can all of us say that about God's law? Can we say, I delight in your commands, God. I love your law. It is so good to me. It is sweeter than honey. It is better than any treasure. Right? When we understand that God gives us his law out of love for us, then we can join him in saying that. Or, or think about what John says in 1 John chapter 5, verse 1 through 3. He says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this, we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome, right? God's commandments are good. So these are three reasons. Why? Because of who we are. We are God's possession. We're God's people. Because of who God is. He is the Lord, the creator of everything. Because of who God is to us. He is our God. He is our father. And then number four is because of what God has done. Go back to Exodus 20, verse 2. He says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. This is what God did for the people of Israel. They brought them out of the house of slavery. They he, he sorry, he brought them out of the house of slavery, out of the uh, out of the land of Egypt. He delivered them. He redeemed them, right? He is, he is basically telling them the gospel. He is saying, I delivered you from the land of Egypt. I made you free. You are my possession now. You belong to me. I saved you. And now these are my commands. 
And that's extremely important because it helps us understand that the law comes after the gospel, right? The law is not what's going to save you. Obedience to the law will never save you, right? God didn't tell the people of Israel, obey this law and you and I will save you out of Egypt, right? This is something that the young says, he says, the Ten Commandments are not instructions on how to get out of Egypt. They are rules for a free people to stay free, right? God is not saying, if you obey these Ten Commandments, then I will take you out of the land of Egypt. He's saying, no, I took you out of the land of Egypt. Now obey these commandments. Now, how many of you here have been in captivity in Egypt? I, I, I assume nobody. If you have been in captivity in Egypt, please come talk to me. I'm, I'm really curious about your story. But I'm guessing none of you have. So we're, you know, we're going to scratch that. But all of us have been captive to sin. All of us have been separated from the glory of God. All of us needed to be redeemed from our lifestyle, from our sin, from our slavery to sin, from the power of the enemy. Every single one of us needs redemption. And these words that God says to the people of Israel, they apply to us as well. When he says, I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. He delivered us. And now he gives us his commands. And this is key. It is key that we understand this paradigm. This paradigm, we do not obey the law to save ourselves. We obey the law because God saves us, right? If you think of the book of Galatians, in Galatians, Paul is not saying you should never obey the law. Paul is saying you should never rely on the works of the law. You should rely on, on, on the finished work of Jesus. You should rely on faith in the finished work of Jesus. You should not rely on the works of the law because the works of the law cannot save you. They cannot gain you favor with God. They cannot make you, you know, uh, somewhat a more acceptable person to God. The only thing that can make you acceptable to God is the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. The righteousness of Jesus is the only thing that makes you acceptable to God. And when we look at the Ten Commandments, when we look at all of the Old Testament, when we, look at, when we look at all of the Bible, we need to understand that Jesus is essential to understanding the law. Think about this. Jesus perfectly fulfilled the law in his life, here on his, on his earthly life. He is the goal of the law, right? He is the end of the law. All of the law, all of the shadows and commandments, they point to Jesus. He died as the sacrificial lamb that was required by the law so that those like you and I who could not keep the law could be saved from the condemnation of the law. And now his law has been written. He has written his law on our hearts and his spirit has given to us, has been given to us so that we can freely obey his law and delight in it. Think about it. God has written his law in our hearts. Now, do not misunderstand this. It doesn't mean that now our hearts are the law and we get to dictate whatever we want to do with our heart because we have the spirit now. No, that's not what it means. It means that now this law that was impossible for us to fulfill, for us to obey, now this law has been written in our hearts and now we have the power of the spirit, the power of God to be able to obey this unattainable law. 
So what is the first commandment? The first commandment is in verse three, you shall have no other gods before me. And this command is really the foundation of the rest of, of the rest of the commandments, right? This commandment is the foundation of the other nine. Why? Because anyone who has one God who is the Lord, right? Anyone who has the Lord God as his only God, these are people that will not have other gods. These are people that will not carve idols. These are people that will not take the name of the Lord in vain. These are people who will honor the Sabbath day, who will uh, honor father and mother, who will not murder, who will not commit adultery, who will not steal, who will not bear false witness against their neighbor, and who will not covet. Right? If the Lord your God is your your uh, uh, is the only one in your life, if He is the one you worship, if He is the one you love with all your heart, all your mind, and all your strength, then you will obey the other commandments. This is what um, Moses. Uh, sorry, this is what the people of Israel are told in Deuteronomy chapter six, where there is a repeat of the Ten Commandments. And listen to what. Uh, listen to these words. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. What does it mean for us to not have any other gods before God? Does it mean that there are other gods? Are there other gods? No, right? They're, I mean, people make up other gods, but they're not real. But there are no other gods. Right? There is only one God, and he is the only one we worship. Now, what does it mean that we don't have other gods before God? Does it mean that, well, it's okay to have a, a number two God and a number three God as long as, you know, the Lord is number one? Is that what it means? No. No, right? I, I think it's better translated, do not have any other gods before my face. Do not have any other gods in my presence. And we know that God's presence is everywhere, right? So in other words, do not have any other gods, period. And this doesn't mean that God has to be our number one. It means that he has to be the only one, right? He has to be the only one in our lives. He has to be the one that we love with all our, our heart and our soul and our might. Having no other gods means that nothing else will take the place of God in our lives. It means that the only one, the only source of life joy, delight, freedom, forgiveness, comfort, pleasure, direction, etc., is going to be God in our lives. Think about the words of Jesus in Matthew 6, 24. He says, no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will, devote, he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Right? So, we can make an idol out of anything, right? We can make an idol out of money, out of politics, sex, recreation, music, work, travel, you name it, right? We can make an idol of anything, but Jesus reminds us that we cannot serve two masters. We can only serve one and we have to serve the Lord. He is the one that should be our, the source of joy, happiness, security, comfort in our lives. Now, lastly, I just want to think about uh, uh, Jesus one more time. What does it mean for us, New Covenant, New Testament believers, to have no other gods before 
the Lord our God in light of Jesus is coming. Well, think about Hebrews 1, 3, where it says that Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And so this means that if we want to worship God, we have to do it through the person of Jesus, right? If we want to worship God alone, we do it through Jesus. Why? Because he is the one that, that made it even possible for us to worship God, right? He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We could not even worship God if it were not for the work of Jesus who died on the cross, right? Appeasing God's wrath, who is in heaven interceding for us, mediating for us so that we can approach the throne of grace and even approach God. So it is through the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross and his mediation that we can worship God. Jesus is the one who died for our idolatry, for our failure to have only one God, because if we're honest, we fail a lot. Jesus is the one who paid for our sin. Jesus is the one who empowers us by his grace to obey, not just this first commandment, but all of God's law. And he empowers us to delight in God's perfect commandments. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you are our God. You are the Lord Almighty, creator of everything. And you identify as our God. And you identify us as your people. Thank you for the work of your son Jesus on the cross. Thank you that we have been redeemed out of the house of slavery. Thank you that we belong to you and you have in your grace given us your law so that we know how to live in your world. Thank you for your son Jesus who perfectly fulfilled the law and who intercedes for us so that we can worship you alone. In Jesus' name, amen.